Support for Criminal comes from Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. It was the talk of the taverns uh, over the Christmas season, uh, 1803-1804. Christmas is, of course, a great time for ghost stories and uh, ghost storytelling. And uh, it started to seem in Hammersmith as though the stories were rather coming to life. In the winter of 1803, there were persistent stories of a strange robed figure perambulating around Hammersmith Churchyard and in neighbouring lanes. People who claimed to have seen the ghost described it in different ways. Some said it looked like Napoleon Bonaparte, and others said it looked like a horse without a head. Some said the ghost breathed fire and smoke and had eyes that glowed. A newspaper described the account of a stagecoach driver who said that he heard an uncommon rustling noise while passing through Hammersmith one night. And then, he said, by a faint light from the moon, he saw a strange creature dressed in white gliding over a meadow. We're hearing about the Hammersmith ghost from Alan Murdy. And this wasn't uh, any sort of ordinary ghost because it was reported to begin attacking people. Uh, On one occasion, it was was claimed that the ghost had leapt out on uh, a whole wagon full of people that were passing through Hammersmith, terrified the horses, and had succeeded in overturning the wagon. Uh, Also, lone individuals walking about claimed they'd been set upon by the ghost and beaten or struck by this phantom. The London Morning Post reported that one night, a group of servants from a local brewery were returning from the outskirts of town around 10 o'clock. They were met by the ghost, dressed in what they described to resemble the hide of a calf, with a pair of enormously large horns and cloven feet. The ghost reportedly chased the group and grabbed one man by the throat, nearly choking him. The man was scared so badly, he developed a fever and didn't recover for weeks. 
and by Christmas it had turned into a full-scale phantom panic with people afraid to go out at night and people um, banding together in groups, all afraid of the assaults of this strange white-robed figure. One paper reported that many people tried to catch the ghost, but, quote, there was not a pair of heels in the parish swift enough to overtake it. We've got to remember this was a time where we only had the most rudimentary of police forces in England. There was an antique system of what were known as parish constables, but there wasn't really anyone much to enforce law and order, so it was open to any subject of the king, any citizen to go out and enforce the law and apprehend offenders themselves. And so shortly after the new year, a man named Francis Smith decided he would catch the ghost himself. He decided to turn himself into something of an anti-ghost vigilante. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Francis Smith was a 29-year-old customs official. On the evening of January 3rd, he set out on his patrol for the Hammersmith ghost. He brought a musket with him. And this was a time before there were any firearms controls or legislation um, in in Great Britain. So you could more or less walk around freely with any kind of uh, weapon you wanted. And he, of course, had a kind of semi-official capacity as a customs official. And he decided to stand guard in Black Lion Lane uh, with the intention of apprehending the ghost should it manifest. And about 10 o'clock, or or, or approaching 11 o'clock, his vigil was rewarded by a figure in white uh, walking up the lane, which uh, he immediately thought, this must be the ghost. So he immediately stepped forward with his gun and challenged it and demanded to know the identity of the figure. No reply came back, so he challenged this figure again, and when the ghost kept coming towards him, uh, at that point, having received no answer, he, uh, he fired his gun at it. And at that point, he saw the ghost collapse in a heap uh, on the ground. And then he realised he'd made a terrible mistake. We'll be right back. Thanks to Progressive for their support. While you're listening to the show, maybe you're also doing something else. Driving, dishes, folding laundry. I listen when I go on walks. If you're not currently driving a car, you could also be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. Save money right now from your phone. Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. 
Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year, so you're protected no matter what. You can get a quote for your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over the 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Support for Criminal comes from Factor. After a long day at work, sometimes the most convenient dinner option is ordering takeout. But if you make a habit of it, it can get pricey. Factor offers restaurant-quality, ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your doorstep. Factor's meals are both nutritious and tasty, and you can choose from more than 35 different options weekly. They have a variety of meal types to fit your needs, too, like keto, calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, and more, with plenty of delicious add-ons also. I've tried Factor meals myself. Lately, I've enjoyed their shredded chicken taco bowl and Thai-roasted vegetable green curry. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. You can also pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 and use code Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box. That's code Phoebe50 at factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. When Francis Smith shot at a figure on Black Lion Lane, he thought he was finally catching the Hammersmith ghost. But when he stepped closer, he realized he hadn't caught a ghost after all. He had, in fact, shot dead a 23-year-old bricklayer and plasterer who was called James Millwood, or in some reports, Millward, uh, who'd been dressed in white overalls, in a, in a white apron and flannel clothing, uh, which explained why he was dressed in white walking up Black Lion Lane. But he was certainly no ghost. He was a, a physical human up to that point, living human, uh, until Smith had shot him. And this would have been the uniform that a bricklayer may, maybe would have worn, this type of white overalls. Well, they still wear white overalls um, for um, certain building and plastering jobs to this day. It would, um, yeah, it would have been part of the standard uh, sort of protective clothing of, of its time. So once Francis Smith realizes that he shot an, an actual man, what happened next? Did, did the police arrive? Well, he... Um, raised the alarm and other people rushed to the scene having heard the shot and it seems that he was taken into custody of the parish constable and then would have been committed to prison. The body of Millwood was taken off actually to the Black Lion Inn where they two days later they held an inquest. The coroner came and convened a jury to inquire as to how Millwood had come by his death and the jury found that Smith was guilty of having shot him so it became a case of unlawful homicide and it's it's the only case in English legal history where somebody has been shot dead mistaken as a ghost 
Francis Smith's trial started a little more than a week after the shooting. The night watchman, a man named William Girdler, testified. He said he'd seen Francis Smith around 10.30 on the night of the shooting, and that Francis Smith told him he was going to search for the ghost. A little while later, he heard a gunshot. Francis Smith ran for help and brought the watchman to Black Lion Lane. He said he'd hurt someone. The watchman testified, I said, I hope you have not hurt him much, and that Francis Smith replied, I have, and I fear very bad. A local wine merchant testified that Francis Smith approached him for help. Along with the watchman, they examined James Millwood's body and discovered a gunshot wound on the left side of his jaw. The merchant testified that Francis Smith was very agitated. The merchant also said that the night of the third had been extremely dark. James Millwood's sister, Anne Millwood, testified that she and her brother had been at their father's house that night. She said James left the house around 11 o'clock. Shortly after, she heard someone yell, Who are you? And then, What are you? I'll shoot you. Immediately followed by a gunshot. She went outside and discovered her brother, dead. It was not a classic whodunit case. In this case, the evidence all pointed to Francis Smith having pulled the trigger, which uh, had led uh, to the shooting of James Millwood. And the argument was really, uh, became an argument of law as to whether uh, he should be found guilty of murder or of manslaughter for what he'd done. Manslaughter because he wasn't trying to actually kill an individual. He thought he was killing a ghost. Indeed, he thought he was shooting at a spectre. That was his defence at the time. He he fired. He thought he was he was shooting uh, something supernatural, which um, it's not against the law to hunt ghosts or or attempt to kill them. In, in, you know, for example, it is not against the law in Britain to uh, to kill vampires. Um, that presumes, of course, vampires might exist. But uh, I'm afraid that argument didn't really help him as the law stood at the time because the the attitude of very much of of the law in the 18th century was that uh, where there was death, there was someone to blame. Uh, Now, Smith might have had a defence if he had thought Millwood was committing uh, what was known as a felony at the time, a very serious criminal offence. But whatever the ghost was doing was was not a felony. So there was no defence there of justifiable homicide. Uh, It seems that Francis Smith's lawyers tried to argue one of mistake, that it was careless, it was reckless, it was negligent um, to go out firing guns at what you thought was to be a ghost, but it wasn't malice of forethought necessary for murder. The defence called a relative of James Millwood's, Mrs. Phoebe Fulbrook. She testified that a few days before his death, James told her he'd frightened a group of travellers in his white clothes when they'd mistaken him for the ghost. 
Mrs. Fulbrook testified that she'd begged him to wear darker clothes or to wear an overcoat. James Millwood had ignored her warnings. Francis Smith gave an unsworn statement to the court. He said his intentions were good. He said he had tried speaking to the victim twice. He said, I did not know what I did. I solemnly declare my innocence and that I had no intention to take away the life of the unfortunate deceased or any other man. But as the law stood at the time, if you were going to stand the slightest chance of Uh, having a murder conviction reduced down to manslaughter, you had to be able to demonstrate that your mistake was a reasonable one. And the view of the judges of the court at the time was that believing in ghosts was unreasonable. It was an inherently unreasonable thing for anyone to believe in. And the court directed the jury to convict Smith of murder, which, uh, well, they duly followed the directions uh, direction of the judge. And uh, as a result, um, Smith uh, was sentenced to hang. I imagine that there were many people in the courtroom who had been testifying on, on behalf of Francis Smith that were probably hearing this and thinking to themselves, well, wait a second, it wasn't just him who believed in this ghost. I believed in this ghost. And there were many people in the town who believed in this ghost. And Francis Smith was trying to take care of a ghost that was tormenting us. Well, under English law, I'm afraid, ignorance of the law is no defense. The Bath Chronicle reported that Lord Chief Barron, one of the judges hearing the case, said it was still murder. The judge said Francis Smith thought he had a right to go and kill any person he saw in a light-colored coat, and that he went out with a loaded gun, intending to kill, contrary to law, and killed a man who was innocent. So, effectively, it was was a decision to stop vigilantes and vigilanteism. So, Francis Smith was sentenced to death. But then what happened? Well, it seems that somebody had the idea of petitioning the king, uh, King George III. He had what was known as the prerogative power of mercy and apparently got the interest of the king very quickly. Uh, And I I think perhaps they felt that um, this whole business of the ghost in Hammersmith had got well and truly out of hand and that one death was one too many, so it wouldn't make the world a better place to uh, to execute somebody such as Smith and make, make it two deaths. It might just sensationalise it and inflame the matters further. So Smith's uh, death sentence was commuted to one year's hard labour, which would have been a pretty tough sentence, it it must be said, uh, given the penal conditions of the early 19th century. But uh, effectively, he was spared execution by the intervention of the king. Did anyone try to figure out what actually had been going on in Hammersmith, what what these people were seeing, these phantom, these sightings? 
Well, from from what we know, we don't have like a full history or, or records uh, of of the period, but it seems that uh, a couple of days after the shooting, um, somebody went to the magistrates uh, for the area and reported a, a, a shoemaker called James Graham, who was arrested on a charge of, of committing a public nuisance that was going out at night uh, with a blanket or a sheet to impersonate a ghost. And he, he was taken to the magistrate's court, and they asked him for the reasons for his behaviour. And this James Graham said uh, he his aim had actually been to cause fear and terror of some local apprentice lads who had apparently been bullying and terrorising his children. And so his idea was to dress up as a ghost and basically terrorise these wayward teenagers and, and teach them a lesson. And it seems he was bound over to keep the peace. Basically, he was uh, basically ordered to keep out of trouble and not do it again. Otherwise, he'd be back in court and face a hefty fine uh, or even imprisonment. And he was thereafter, apparently, he was being called his ghost ship. Uh, and he seems to have carried the can, uh, so to speak, for the activities of the Hammersmith ghost. But whether that was anything to do with the whoever or whatever was causing the nuisance and attacking people in Hammersmith over that winter, we um, we, we don't know. But uh, it seems that after Smith's arrest and trial, it seems that the Hammersmith ghost proper uh, ceased its activities and nothing much about its activities were, were claimed for a very long time afterwards. But it wasn't the last people would hear of the ghost. We'll be right back. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. So this case, Hammersmith and Francis Smith, it kind of set a legal precedent that someone who commits a crime while acting under an honest but unreasonable belief can be held liable. Indeed, that was that was very much the the nineteenth century um, viewpoint uh, that if it, it existed very much as a curiosity because of its strange facts. 
facts. But the general principle was there that um, an honest but, uh, but unreasonable belief would not be sufficient to reduce uh, a homicide murder down to, to, to manslaughter. And that, that remained the case, uh, in fact, into the 20th century. When did the idea start to change? Well, I think it was really after the Second World War that um, I, people started to look at homicide uh, again. And after, after 1945, there was a, a slow progression in the law, um, very much pioneered by uh, a great English legal scholar and academic, a man called uh, Glanville Williams, who argued from the late 1940s that basically the law of murder and the law of insanity and uh, justification for homicide and manslaughter was very out of date. I mean, it it did date from um, very much the English medieval common law. And it was felt that with modern advances in psychology and psychiatry and medicine and social understanding that these old ideas from uh, the 14th and 15th century um, were in need of of revision. basically medieval and common law didn't really think very much weren't really interested very much in the state of mind or the motive uh, for somebody killing another person Uh, basically the the crime was that if you uh, if you killed somebody you must have intended it and if you intended it it was likely to be it, it would be murder unless you could show that you were insane and it was felt by, with advances of psychology and psychiatry and understanding of the mind, that this was a very outdated approach to the minds of, of offenders. So in 1957, the law was reformed with what was called uh, the Homicide Act 1957, which introduced a plea of what's known as diminished responsibility. But the, the problem did remain that there was still this test when it came to mistake of reasonable and unreasonable belief. And that more or less carried on until, really, the 1980s. In the 1980s, 180 years after the Hammersmith ghost murder case, the England and Wales Court of Appeal issued an opinion that broke away from the precedent. That's a result of a case called Williams, which arose, the facts of Williams were uh, a man called Mr. Mason thought he saw a mugging and uh, a, a street crime. He'd, he'd seen uh, a man snatch a lady's uh, handbag. So he stepped in and seized hold of this man. And Mr. Williams was walking along and he saw this. He didn't know the full facts. And he thought that Mr. Mason was actually the criminal, was the aggressor. He, he thought that uh, Mason was, was attacking this uh, man in the street. So he stepped in and he started hitting Mr. Mason. <laughs> um, well, Williams ended up being put on trial um, for assaulting Mr. Mason. And... 
that's where that's where the the court of appeal basically looked at this whole question of objective belief and subjective belief and reasonableness and unreasonableness and said that really mr williams although he perhaps might have given some thought to what he did before he started to uh, hitting Mr. Mason, he, he said, well, as long as Mr. Williams honestly believed he was witnessing a, a crime, a, a fight in the street, then he deserved to be acquitted. In the court's decision, one judge wrote that what mattered was whether or not the belief was an honest one. Quote, if the belief was in fact held, its unreasonableness is neither here nor there. It is irrelevant. It was around the same time, in the 1980s, when Alan Murdy was studying to become a lawyer. Today, his day job is representing clients in civil liberties, tax, debt, and housing cases. But he's also the chairman of what's called the Ghost Club. Which is based here in Britain, originally founded in 1862. Um, you can say that we celebrate our cultural traditions of ghosts and hauntings in the United Kingdom, but we're also interested in ghostly phenomena across the world. Charles Dickens was said to have been a member. Its roots go back to the mid-Victorian period, and the uh, there was a great deal of interest in the mid-19th century uh, about the supernatural, as, as they called it, uh, particularly driven by the rise of spiritualism, which, uh, of course, started in the United States, and it was imported into Great Britain in the 1850s, and it proved as enormously popular in Great Britain as it uh, had done in the United States. And at the time, there was also uh, a growing materialist philosophy, which was epitomized by the publication of Charles Darwin's The Origins of Origin of Species in 1859. And so there was, there was a great sort of crisis of belief in mid-Victorian England amongst philosophers and intellectuals and, and religious people. And people decided to look more closely into claims of the supernatural, what we today call typically the paranormal. And originally it was some fellows of Trinity College in Cambridge decided to form a ghost club for people interested in ghosts and hauntings. How did you get involved with the ghost club? Well, I, I've always been interested ever, ever since um, sort of childhood in stories of ghosts and the supernatural. I, I was lucky enough to grow up in a village in the 1960s and 1970s that was quite a rural part of England uh, and still is in many ways, uh, an area called Suffolk in the east uh, of Great Britain. And there were still elderly people who talked about uh, stories of, of ghosts, even of a village witch from years before. So I, I, I was kind of raised with it. And then by the time I was about 12, I was getting seriously interested in science as well. And I realised that the, the two did actually could actually 
come together. So I, I, I got very interested in psychical research, um, and that interest has more or less stayed with me ever since, right up to today. Alan Murdy says there's a rumor that the Hammersmith ghost returns every 50 years. Around the 150th anniversary of the shooting, people gathered in the St. Paul's churchyard in Hammersmith. And close to midnight, uh, a number of people in the crowd said that they saw a strange light flickering across the side of the church. But this was, uh, if whatever that was, uh, and uh, one has to uh, be a little careful, I think, with excitable crowd testimony. Uh, whatever it was, it was a, a very weak, rather pathetic manifestation of the Hammersmith ghost, if that's what it, what it was compared with uh, its antics and exploits of 150 years earlier. They gathered again, 50 years after that. This time round, there were only a handful of people who gathered, perhaps just honouring a, a spin-off tradition more than anything uh, at St Paul's Churchyard. And uh, it may surprise you that uh, uh, the people who gathered didn't report anything unusual whatsoever. Were you there? I went along. Um, I was requested to go along by uh, a couple of interested newspapers. Um, and it was interesting just as a piece of social science investigation and reporting to see uh, and look into it and, and visit the scene of the alleged manifestation. But I'm afraid there was no ghost. I think overall, um, I mean, I think psychic or paranormal phenomena um, do exist. Um, I, I think they can be established more or less beyond reasonable doubt in, in, in some cases. Uh, and the sheer consistency of the testimony over the years shows, uh, for, at least as far as I'm concerned, that there are, there are some real phenomena going on. Of course, we don't really understand ordinary consciousness or, or dreaming or many everyday experiences and sensations that we have. Uh, we don't know really how the, the brain works uh, and the mind works before we even get onto the subject of ghosts or psychic powers or anything else. So there's many, uh, many day-to-day -day phenomena and experiences which still science doesn't have an adequate model or explanation for. Well, I'm keeping my eyes out for a ghost. I'm, uh, as long as they're nice to me, I have no problem if they'd like to come around. Well, I, let, let me say, overall, I think um, most, most ghostly manifestations um, are quite harmless and nothing to worry about. Uh, overall, uh, I think there's there's far more danger from the living than from anybody who's uh, passed on. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking on. I'm really happy that we got to talk to you, and this has been great. Well, it's been a pleasure for me as well. Um, so thank you very much. I've, I've enjoyed talking with you, and uh, please, for everyone listening, please don't have nightmares. Only <laughs> your usual sweet, innocent dreams. <laughs> okay. But thank you very much. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye.
Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Libby Foster, and Samantha Brown. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show and Instagram at Criminal underscore podcast. We're on TikTok at Criminal underscore podcast, where we're posting some behind-the-scenes content. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Thanks to Progressive for their support. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.